Welcome to a flash episode of the Dark Zone and Adventure Racing Podcast. We have Emily Korsh of Carter Racing, Jason Magnus of Bend Racing, and Brent Friedland of Rootstock Racing. For those of you who are new to the Dark Zone, this is a special kind of episode. There is no intro. There's no music. There's nothing. There's a race going on right now down in Arkansas called Expedition Ozark. It is an ARWS demonstration race that is going on this year. And I have assembled a crack team of experts to talk about the race. Now, all I will say to our panel, I'll say to our panel is, is that we're very good at this. We like to talk about racing granularly. Newer racers listen to the dark zone. So always pepper your comments, thinking of the person who doesn't know a whole lot about the sport. We don't want to get too much in the weeds, but we're glad you're here. Emily is the newest member of the commenting team. So Emily, I'm going to let the other fellows go first so you can get a sense of this commentary. I always go to Brent first. It's tradition. Brent, hot take on the race so far. How's it going? Fire away. I don't know. I think Emily's a lot smarter than me, and she should go first. <laughs> okay. Emily, very good. Emily, you're smarter than Brent. Hot take. How's Gosh. the race going so far? Okay. Trial by fire. Um, first off, I need to do a shout out to the race organizers, Danny and Jason. They're, you know, this is a big um a big lift or whatever corporate speak you want to use, but it's a big task to organize a race like this. And um, to my knowledge, it's their first effort of this magnitude. And I feel like things are going pretty well from a spectator's point of view. So I just shout out to them. Um, and yeah, I feel like the lead teams are just smashing. <laughs> they're, they're going so fast. Um, it's fun to watch and it's fun to watch a lot of, um, of my friends who are in the middle of the pack and many of them experiencing their first multi-day effort. And I hope they're loving it. For larger yeah. context. Thanks. And for bringing that up, this is the first race for Expedition Ozark. Uh, Jason Bettis and Danny Collins have put, are putting this race on in terms of the universe right now, they just passed the 60 hour mark of the race. So from a time check perspective, time-wise halfway through the race, um, and it's going spectacularly. It's, it's a strong race. There's been some ups and downs with maps and questions, but every single race director goes through that. We've experienced race directors on the panel tonight. They certainly live that feeling of why is everyone going that way? They should be going that way and things like that. Um, but I do agree with you that for a first effort on behalf of Ozark, it's going really well. A lot of great media coming out of it. Jeff O'Connor is involved in that, helping to put a lot of that together. There's a lot of good people on the ground down in Arkansas. So I'm spot on. You mentioned the front of the race and you mentioned the mid packers. Let's go front of the race right now. Jason, could you talk a bit about where the race is at this point, about halfway through who's at the pointy end? Hey, at the, at the pointy end, but well, first things first, you mentioned something at the very beginning. So I just want all your new listeners or the new adventure racers. If you're here for the music, the dark zone is not the podcast for you. So at the very beginning, you said you're not going to do the music. It's, it's okay, but like I, we can send you to better music podcasts. Okay, so the dark zone is not that. This is and for extreme endurance adventure racing, right? Well, That's the, what you have to tolerate the music also. And before you start, yeah. Jason, I do want to give you a shout out, listeners out there. Go to Spotify. Go find the Bend Racing podcast. Bend Racing, which is Jason's organization, has jumped into podcasting with both feet. Find them on Spotify. A fantastic listen, Jason. Twenty end of the you. race, no music allowed. Go for it. Right, no music allowed. Um, I'm personally heavily invested because you know, three or four days ago, I was supposed to be on that team, and then I I found out I had a kidney stone. Basically, the morning we woke up to go to the plane, a really big kidney stone, so that didn't fly. We got a replacement within 24 hours of the start of the race, and obviously that's working out well. 
uh, and you know, Dusty's on our team and he was the alternate, but most people don't like to get the call 24 hours away from an expedition race, but you know, so Ben racing, you know, my, my team, my wife is at the front right now. They're currently leading, which is a, honestly, a position that they are not that comfortable with. At least I'm not that comfortable with as a racer. So it's been really exciting to watch that they've kind of stepped into that more in the last year as has Estonia. So one of the things I'm really fascinated about is right now the two lead teams have together, like if you collectively look at their wins in World Series races, it's maybe a quarter of Vita Raid, which is the third place team. Vita Raid is one and one and one, and they get tired of winning or we get tired of them winning. Sometimes they just have been a powerhouse. And so at the front end, it's a tight race for those top two teams. And Vita Raid is, you can tell they're on the hunt. Um, those guys are super experienced. Ertzi's a huge um, uh, organizer as well. He's been in the game for years and years and years. They've been ranked number one in the world, and they are playing catch up. And really, Bend Racing and Estonia are—it's their race to lose. They've got a couple hours on Vitorade, right? In terms of time estimates, I would say yeah, a couple hours sounds like it right now. If I'm looking at the tracker, Bend Racing and Estonian uh, are sitting together in the TA. They're coming off a paddle, going on a bike. And Viterate is up the river, bearing down on them. Uh, also worth pointing out that Viterate has Mary Chandler on their team. Mary is perhaps one of the best American adventure racers right now. So they are not going away anytime soon. Brent, I know you've been following along. What's your take so far? Yeah, I mean, I, I think similar. Uh, I think for folks that are not super familiar with uh, international racing, uh, I think it's worth highlighting how deep the top of the field is at this race. I mean, we've mentioned Vita Raid. Uh, we briefly mentioned Estonia, right? I mean, Estonia is a top, you know, three to five team in the world, depending on who you want to talk to. Uh, but you've also got, you know, Brazil Multisport. You have two French teams um, who have some really outstanding athletes uh, between them. Uh, I, from what I can tell, and, and Jason, you you probably can confirm this, they're kind of racing in these mishmashes of athletes, not necessarily people that have always raced together, but people that have always raced on good teams. Um, yeah. And then one team that I, I actually have been uh, kind of curious watching them, racing Denmark. Uh, we uh, had the opportunity to see them at Itera last uh year in scotland and they won that race and they won that race comfortably i mean they were just really fast and they had also won a couple big races in europe against top european competition it doesn't seem like this race is going super well for them from a, at least a, a speed perspective um you know but you know bend is up there leading this race against you know six elite teams from around the world i, I think as jason said these are um i mean Viterate always wins, right? And when they don't, it's because Seagate or Avaya are there. So I'm kind of curious to hear Jason's insight. You know, Jason, absolutely no offense to your team. Like we all know that Bend is uh, arguably the best team in North America uh, and has been for a while. When you go to a world championship, you tend to be like the top team or the second American team often behind these teams. So what do you think is going on for your guys as they're, you know, leading the charge for basically 48 hours here being hunted by these elite teams? Right. So it, it's, I mean, to be honest, it's, we've been working at this for two years, kind of in secret, like not really in secret, but we've really been building, listening to what Nathan talks about and building a team culture, building a team protocol. So we have 11 athletes that are all doing the same training that have the same understanding of caffeine, sleep strategy, 
pushing. And so we've really taken a year and a half to convince and, and to train together virtually and have these meetings so that we can create essentially the culture that we know is necessary for us to go from being that, you know, 90% team to mixing it up in the top 1%. Um, and this is, you know, we've had some really good successes last year. We had a great race at, at your guys' race last year. And, and it's been really cool seeing that just get more and more um, solidified. And, you know, it was great having Dusty jump in at the end. And, you know, I'm not going to give all the secrets, but it's like sleep strategies, um, how hard we push ourselves, how we take care of ourselves, foot care, caffeine, like just having a plan and the easy way to explain it. And I'm hoping that more like intermediate racers start to look at it this way is we've the big part of the team culture that we're looking at is how can we race preventively and proactively instead of reactively? How can we still be on day three and not reacting to falling apart or blisters or sleepiness? How can we stem that stuff off until day five, right? Until we have to push. And you just see, like you mentioned Avaya, that's what they do. Like they don't let the race affect them. They race in control. It's almost like instead of racing other teams, that they're trying to set the fastest known time possible. You know, I, I kind of feel like Avaya goes to a race and they're like, you know, this race said this race can't be done in this time. And they're like, our goal is just to beat that time. Right. And in doing so, they win race after race after race after race. And so it's been looking at 20, you know, two decades of racing as a team of being like, how do we get to that last bit? And sitting back, it makes me nervous because I'm waiting for them to lose their protocol. Like we have everything written out and planned and everyone's talked about it, but they're not used to being in the front for 48 hours. Right. Yeah. Right. We were freaking out. I'll, I'll be honest. When we were racing endless mountains, we were looking at our, we're like, where, where's bones? Where, like, where are these teams? Right. So, so it's really cool to see that. Um, but I don't, you know, I'm not going to make any predictions. Don't ask me to make any predictions, Brian. I'm not doing it. Promise. I want no predictions. This will be recorded forever on the internet. Emily, what do you think so far about the front of the race? You know, actually, I find it really interesting, Jason, that you're, kind of talking about the Bend Racing team culture being modeled after, you know, the American version of what Avaya has accomplished in New Zealand, you know, based in New Zealand and then international. Um, I was actually really reminded about that during the weather hold last night because, it, you know, basically that was a dark zone, right? Teams had to stop. They couldn't proceed. And I feel like that is one of the kind of calling cards of Avaya or any championship teams is they really – manage that dark zone. And I feel like Ben hit it perfectly. You know, you kind of wrote, I say you, but your team <laughs> rolled into TA, you know, pretty much right at that 11 o'clock PM mark, got a good sleep and we're ready to go at three, you know, based on what I, obviously oh, yeah. I wasn't awake watching the tracker at that time. So just seeing that those breadcrumbs this morning, you know, clicking on 13 little dot and seeing all the blue lines where you, where the team went, um, it was like, gosh, they really maximized that dark zone and got great sleep without anyone gaining an advantage on them. So, um, you know, other teams, they may have had just as good of a rest. They, you know, I know some teams were sleeping in bathrooms. Some teams were just sleeping out uh, in the bush. And, um, you know, that that is going to be really interesting to hear everybody's story about where they were <laughs> during the gnarly weather. Well, and, and to that point, and moving towards a bit towards the the, the back of the of the, the of the race and back of the the full course teams, there's definitely there's definitely a conversation to be had after the race about with uh, Naira Montbell, and then Team Disability. They were they were two teams that were racing 
head to head the entire time that the, the dark zone was approaching, right? And thank you to the racers for actually getting my team name into the race itself. The dark zone was approaching and the, and clearly there was a spot there where this ability stayed, knew they were up against a one o'clock cutoff and Naira made a run for it. And they got out of that TA, which is going to give Naira a significant advantage points wise. I just looked at the tracker and Naira is not doing all those pro points on that track. They've clearly are, are cutting their losses a bit and they're getting going, which they have to, right? They have to race smart and that's, that's going to yeah. be their philosophy. But I'm really curious as to, as to this ability in Naira, how, that crux point in the race for those teams that want to go full course that want to have those those micro challenges inside the race that's gonna be really interesting i know that brent had some thoughts on that before you know i would just for for less experienced dot watching folks uh who might be listening to this just kind of you know remind everybody that the leaderboard as we see it may not be actually accurate right. um you know there's a lot of information in these races that sometimes doesn't leak out until after the race so like i have questions about some of that you know i have questions about teams that were like like this ability um and several others who were told to ride to ta8 once they got up and left ta4 you know, are they ranked behind teams that were allowed to stay on the full course or are they going to continue to rank things by total checkpoints? And and I just I, I don't know if anyone else here knows that, but I, I don't have an answer to that question right now. Yeah, I, I can answer that question because um, I've obviously been very obsessively dot watching and have a lot of friends at, at all the levels in the in the field. But um, the, yeah, anybody that gets all the mandatory points will be ranked ahead of anybody that's been short coursed at all so that the first ranking is going to be number of mandatory points and you know looking at the videos and, and talking to thomas and and like this ability it was an interesting choice for somebody that that wanted to have a high ranking or good as high ranking because they got to that ta at six o'clock and they you know the race rules said you had to leave by 1 a.m so they were there seven hours ahead of that and then the new storm warning said you had to stop at 11, right? 11 p.m. So basically that they needed to leave on the rest of the full course before 11 p.m. And then they had to find shelter. But I think they rented a cabin based on like, there's a video of this really nice cabin. And I don't know if somebody was hurting on that team or if they just, you know, were scared of the storm or, or worried, or maybe they were just too comfortable, which happens sometimes. Let's face it, when you're three days into a vent race, if you've got a cabin with a fireplace and a nice bed, it's a you damn shower. You shower. Yes. Um, so they basically at that point, knowingly or unknowingly, like gave up their like their top 10 goal um, because they just couldn't, you know, they, they now are so far behind in the point ranking. Um, so now they're really just racing the other short course teams. And everybody that took that route is is ranked below any team that gets all the mandatory points now. I think I think I'll I want to um, just want to wait. I mean, we've all been, all four of us have done races, right? Where information that seems like it's clear in the moment, right? In the middle of night two, when there's tornado warnings going on, gets communicated to teams. And it's not always actually as clear as we think. And I, I'm not criticizing the the volunteers or the race directors at all. Um, you know, you can, you can, you can write things out as explicitly as possible. And it's not always crystal clear. I, I have to wonder if this ability fully understood yeah, me too. that situation. Cause, yeah. cause I mean, it is an odd decision knowing, you know, th those guys are, are good mid pack racers, yep. who, you know, I have been working hard to get better. And I think, uh, I don't know them super well personally, but 
I, having been in the sport for almost 20 years, they're a team that I'm sure is trying to elevate to the level where they can take a shot at full course, whether that was their goal for this race or not. I don't know. Uh, but an odd decision making me wonder if maybe they did not appreciate what the changes were, 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 were implying. I mean, someone pointed out on Facebook, right. Um, you have to leave by 1 AM, but no one's allowed to leave until 3 AM. And yeah, they had five hours to leave before the 11 PM cutoff, but there's a lot of conflicting information there. I feel like. Well, that, that's one know, thing about adventure racing is the, the level of story. The, 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 the Most of the race takes place. Most of the conversations after the race ends. Right. And we do this and we talk about it and who went where I think what's interesting about this is that now from a race director perspective, if you look at the map, the, the race is completely up the road and there are five teams that are still TA seven. And those five teams have to be cared for and fed and met. And they're a real, if you look at the tracker, they're really far behind the rest of the race because so many other racers took that short course option. So I have to wonder what it must be like from a race director perspective, just to realize that there are, you know, 20 adults that are, that are behind you, that you have to make sure that there's someone at a TA to meet them and punch their card and check their food and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking and, at the tracking map right now, and it's there's some experienced teams like Naira Montbell, right? Brian's fave. Yep. Uh, R&R, which is Rachel Furman and her teammate, who all, his name also starts with an R, and I just don't know it. So they're totally, you know, they've been in it. Old Shoes, they've been racing. Nebraska Unplugged, uh, you know, they've, and no complaints. So it's like, those are all seasoned racers um like they're fine they can be left alone we're good right right (laughs) yeah they don't they don't need any bells and whistles at a ta but they do certainly need to get all their boxes at the time they you know we're expecting them and um yeah it does this is the part of the race that does get stretched really thin but i mean one thing to remember is that those guys are still well within what the race directors thought that ta would be open to it's really just leapfrogged everybody that was at the other TA, you know, just had a very easy bike ride to right. just jump way ahead. And so, you know, I'm sure that that TA, but it is, it, it all is very interesting because we look at those lonely teams um, that, you know, there's a whole big bike ride before they even see another person other than the, the ones around them. So, um, I think also, you know, I'm, I'm thinking back to RI terror race and, um, we found ourselves on the back of the full course estimates and that's a tough place to be sometimes. And especially in a race like this, where you're not just the back of the full course, uh, but you're also the back of the field. It's a really weird dynamic sometimes to kind of know that, all right, like I'm actually ranked quite high, but I'm quite far behind everybody. I feel lonely and I'm not sure I'm going to make cutoffs and I'm chasing cutoffs the whole race. And I'm not Mm -hmm. saying I haven't looked at it that closely. Maybe those five teams are still well within cutoffs. I'm not sure. Um, but I think we all know how that can go. Um, that's a tough position to be in for those five, I think. Well, I, I think we've stepped into a bit of a, of a, of a vortex of perception here, right? It feels like they're at the back of the race, but in reality, they're exactly where they're supposed to be based on time cutoffs. The problem is, is that there's X amount of teams that are up ahead of them that were supposed to, if not for the tornado warning would be with them the entire time. Right. So, so, so the, the, from a, from a race perspective, the race director has to begin to prepare for the idea that most likely the, team, the race will be ending a lot sooner than they expected for a lot of races. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I know that you have a pretty strong understanding of the time cutoffs and it sounds like every, it sounds like the front teams are ahead. Am I correct? They're way ahead of the time cutoffs. Oh, I yeah, said way ahead. How, how ahead are they? they yeah. The, those front teams jumped about four hours ahead, ahead in the 
So we'll get, we'll call maybe day one, the triathlon, right? They had a short trek, kind of a short bike, kind of a short paddle. Uh, that was all pretty fast. And then the, the long trek, the nearly 50 mile trek that was leg four ish, uh, you know, that teams just kind of blazed through that, even though, um, you know, my understanding is that the terrain and the navigation were, was actually quite challenging. So, um, just kudos to those teams and their fitness level. And really that's when, um, the lead teams, at least after the, the big track kind of started putting time on the race director's fastest estimates. Um, so it's been, I don't know. I just, I love to see teams overachieving like that. It's pretty fun. There, there were, there were dot watchers I was talking to. They were getting the heebie jeebies during that, during that big trek, thinking that the maps and the trails were, were disconnected from one another. And there was concerns that, cause, cause for those at home who are listening, you were, you had to stay on the trail for the purpose of the big trek. You were not allowed to, to cut across the trail. And so as, as we were watching at home and, you know, you try to take the race maps and you try to go to Caltopo, Google Earth, and you try to look at the different layers, it felt like there were going to be lacking trails. And we were really concerned that a team was going to walk into a dead end and the trail was going to end. And because then what do you do when that happens? Luckily enough that that concern was misplaced and those, those teams all sort of made it. Good, Brent. You know, though, um, I saw a video with uh, Team Warrior, who's mm -hmm. uh, one of the, you know, there's five or six. We talked about the elite teams. Warrior's kind of leading the charge of the, you know, I'd say probably another five half dozen teams or so that are, you know, really high quality North American teams. There's a bunch of Canadian and American teams there. And several of them could be, you know, in the top five by the end of it. Um, they were coming off the trek and Mark Latanzi, uh, note and Jesse Spangler, the, the, who I think are doing the navigation talked about how they actually had that exact problem. They were, they found themselves on all kinds of trails where, uh, they had to go backwards. And so it's interesting because I think on the tracking map outside of one or two spots, it kind of looked like it was clean navigation for just about everybody, but it sounds like it was actually not as clean as it looks because of, because of that kind of dynamic and, um, that ruling. Yeah, I I, uh, I saw a video with the the Ben crew and another crew too that talked about how difficult that navigation was once you hit the pro points. Like it was all straightforward and running roads and trails, and then all of a sudden you got to the the optional part of that big trek, and they weren't really prepared. They were like, "Whoa, the checkpoints are harder to find. They're smaller features, and there's a lot of extra trails." And you know, as with any old map, it's not necessarily GPS. Sometimes the trails are approximations that would get your average through hiker from point a to point b but when you're trying to find a little orange flag in the woods um it's easy to to get obsessed with you know junctions and micronav and, and that's caused some headaches until you adapt and so i think that was a, a pretty big wake-up call to some of the top teams who were running and you know going super fast and then all of a sudden had to think and like you know really assess what was real and, and what was just in their head Recognizing that the four of us have not raced in this area, we've raced as part of the Ozark. It sounds like the people are having a really hard time with navigation for lack of big features, and the fact that it's this really kind of the the the, the there's no there's nothing large to aim towards. There's a lot of, the compass headings are difficult. The trails are somewhat fading. From your armchair perspective, what how would you approach the navigation for this part of the race? Do you think it would be like how would you go at it, Emily? What would you do? I I do need to kind of share so. Brian and I were talking before we hit record and I am in Northern Minnesota right now, but I have done quite a bit of racing in, uh, Missouri and I've been to the Northwest Arkansas area, which is pretty similar. And I actually think that 
you know, you, you do have to take, there, there are big features. Uh, I mean, maybe they're not mountains and maybe they're not, you know, using your altimeter uh, to mark off every thousand feet, but the reentrants are pretty prominent um, and the creek beds are very prominent. And I, I think that it's definitely challenging, but it's not the most complex navigation that we've seen in an expedition race. Right. I, I would say looking, you know, I read the the post that said, oh, they're going to the, especially the trek that's in the middle of the the boat that all the top teams are either done with or doing. You know, there was some speculation that it was going to split the field apart and it was going to be really challenging navigation. And for the top six teams, at least, it's been not trivial, but very, very straightforward. And I think they mostly did it in the daylight. There's a lot of roads, there's a lot of attack points. And for those of you that don't know what attack points are, it's just like, it's a, a fake checkpoint that you kind of put in your head or put on the map to go to before you go find the real checkpoint. So you have these known locations that that are closer to the actual checkpoints. But there's a ton of those. And like I watched Bend Racing and Estonian Beatrade, they all did slightly different routes, but they just basically walked to each right. checkpoint without without moving around. And they did it during daylight. I imagine teams that are tired and at night and You've got to remember, too, that's top six teams, the top 10 teams in the field right now have some of the best nav navigators and most experienced expedition navigators in the sport, you know, with with Warrior, with Tower, with those two Canadian teams. I mean, these guys are, are, are super pros. So I think that, you know, the navigation for this race, other than that first stage, hasn't been all that crazy for some of these top teams. But I think, you know, we'll see if it comes into play with sleep deprivation. You raised a good question there about Team Warrior. Right now, they're at the they're at that that part of that trek. They're sitting within it, well within the top ten. I'm curious what their decision is going to be about going for those pro points, right? Because because to your point, right, they are at the they're at the towards the back end of the 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 pointing part of the race, right? And will they be getting out of the boat? Will they be going off and getting those pro points? I think absolutely. I do not see Mark Latanzi and Jesse Spangler not doing that. But it's going to get harder to do that further down the race when you get more and more tired. Yeah, just to clarify though, you know, Warrior is actually currently at the boat drop to go out right. on that trek. I don't see them dropping it. I think it's um, you know, it's no complaints. It's Naira, you know, right. who also are super experienced. TA seven party teams. Yeah, the right, exactly. I like that. The TA seven party. Uh, you know, when the party bus gets there, how many of those teams decide to go out? Um right. You know, on a time right time kind of projection, there are a few different numbers I've seen that are not always 100% aligned, but they're pretty close. I went back through their course guide this evening, and basically, I believe if my math is correct, where Bend and um, Estonia currently are sitting at TA, they have completed what was projected to be 67 and a half hours of racing, roughly in 61 and a half so they're like six ish hours ahead but that also includes sleep and tas so normally time projections don't take into account those two factors so they may be even further ahead than really anticipated well also the hold yeah and the hold right exactly um they have 30 hours of course left according to the projections so that'll get them in what right around 90 hours and you've got like a day plus left of racing to go, right? So I think a team like Warrior is still very safely within the bounds of finishing a full course. Right. The party bus at the back, I'm not not positive. So right? here's an interesting little little twist on the on the mid pack. If you take a look at the tracker now, 
um, disability racing has left the water and is now doing those pro points on that on that track. And you know, it, it's a death match in my head between Naira Mont Bell and disability, right? That's where I'm because they were so close to each other. Naira Mont Bell came off the earlier section where TA7 is, they didn't get all those pro points down there. So in reality, disability may benefit from their big sleep in their short course if they get these these pro points on this section of the of the race. And they yeah, may begin CP, to chip away at a CP at the lead. rich environment now where disability is. Right. Because I believe I am reading Montbell's Myra Montbell's decision correctly. If I look back there, they didn't. They came off that section early and did not get all those pro points. No, they they did the whole thing. Naira, did. Did, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Naira did the whole the whole track, so they're they're full. They've got everything up to where they are. Yeah, mm-hmm. they stand corrected then. Yep. Um, yeah, I in think, a good way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Naira did no complaints as well. Um, I remember watching them closely. I know they did. I'll check the others out of curiosity. Keep going. Um, so, Emily, I have a question for you. Bring it on. So, since you uh, like obviously know like this race, what what are the cutoffs ahead of these teams? Like, do you have the, your your list? So, what are the cutoffs that no complaints or Naira is facing? Oh, um, if any that might impact their. There, to my. Um... To my knowledge, the only cutoff is the trek in the middle of the Kings River Paddle. So the trek that the lead teams are f- finished or just have finished, that that would be a mandatory skip um, okay. if they are on the short course. And I think the rest of it is self. I think the rest of it self. just has the finish line cutoff. Okay. Cool. That's great. I like that type of racing. It really, you know. It's one of the things that I don't know how you guys feel having been in the sport for a long time, but I'm, I'm seeing this evolution of the sport from where it came from with these big point to point, um, courses that the top teams would finish in five days and would be open for 11 days. And we can all think back and there's, you know, it's, it's kind of like when the person says, I used to walk 20 miles to school each way. It's, it's, we just can't do that enough. Right. Like it takes a special place. It takes a special race director. It takes a ton of time. And what's be own abilities better because now the course isn't open. It used to be like the standard, what's the winning time and then open the course twice as long or more than twice as long. And that's not happening any days anymore. Right. So we're coming into these new formats that a lot of people are experimenting with, with these pro points, um, with optional things or short courses, which to me allows these race directors to kind of really do what's best for the area in some ways in a better, cooler way. And then also forces teams to really understand that if they're moving too slow, they better make choices or the the course is going to, you know, it's like, or they're not going to finish. Right. And so that, I think that's taking some time for some of these kind of intermediate and and even back of the pack teams to come to terms with and to figure out Um, like orange lederhosen. Those are great guys. I raced against them in Belize, Mm -hmm. at least with the beard and you know they were still on the first trek right when you know talking about a spread and not sure what happened to them they've got to have great stories but you know and they still get the race right so it's it's just a kind of cool thing and yet race directors don't have to somehow carve out 12 days you know to to maintain this and and then the buzz to me is is really nice as a racer because there's something sad as a racer if you're at the back of the pack 
when when basically everybody's packed up and gone home because the race was over six days ago and, and then your dot is just moving for five more days um so you kind of all kind of finish within 36 hours which is pretty cool yeah the, the other part of it too is in just really explained to me by someone who who, I, who races in in africa and other parts of the world we don't have that expansive point-to-point geography here in america in some parts of america like you need right. to do something like that we you don't have the permitting for it the permitting also. too exactly i mean the, the permits alone right and so we've had to come up with this the idea of the pro points and you mentioned before i heard you mentioned your podcast that that was really something that 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 Ben sort of helped bring about and the point where that has to be that way, right? That we just have to have these unique models. You get out of the boat. And I know last year, Endless Mountains had that twice on that on that canoe, right? All right, yeah. Brent, they would come out of the canoe twice and they had to do that and get back in because you need to have, you need terrain and you need with the permitting and with the space you have, that's how it goes. Brent, I see yeah. you feverishly and- looking at your your uh, your monitor there. I think there's some thought in your head. What are you seeing going on right now at the racing? I can see yeah, you tapping I'm- buttons. Uh, no, I was mostly just confirming um, what's going on with those with those five teams at the back, and I I did confirm that four of the five are full course, completed the whole trek. The only team that did not was uh, Old Shoes. They were the they got off that trek early. So yeah, I was just confirming that. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, good, good for them. That's you, a yeah, Emily. Oh, well, I just want to say, I Jason, you mentioned or- Orange Lado Hosen, and I that was one of my like bullet point teams to shout out during the recording so um they're just uh, a staple of kansas missouri races super happy they made the trek to arkansas um really great people experienced racers definitely not at the front of the pack but really a treat to have them at the race so um just happy they're there Mm -hmm. what do you think the uh the the feedback's going to be on the on the course itself in terms of the the racing down there will people have enjoyed the course i mean we're hearing the word beautiful a whole lot they say the the the, the rivers are gorgeous the, the the bluffs they're seeing the gorges all of that do you think we're going to see uh is ozark going to begin to get a place on the regular calendar who wants to take that i mean i i think uh, of course, of course, Jason. Jason freezes there, when we ask you know, the, like the controversial race, question. You know. Jason freezes, and he's still answering it. You froze there for a second, Jason. Give another shot at. Okay. It. Um, I mean, I think I think they're doing a great job. I think a big thing that's important to the World Series is the media coverage, the safety, uh, the racer experience, and I think they knocked that out of the park. I mean, just with any race director, you learn something the first couple times you do it, and you know the only feedback that I'd have just watching it, and I'm not a racer, so I don't know how the race are experiencing this is very different than brent's race um we had these loops they're doing a lot of trekking loops um but a lot of the trekking loops have a kind of a mandatory long out and back start where they're retracing their steps over a lot of stuff two or three times they came in on the bike then they trek out that way and then they trek back that way so if there's a way to kind of eliminate that or change the tas so that the the terrain feels fresh the whole time because i remember endless mountains we'd stop the boat and we do this huge loop, but there wasn't, you know, it all felt very unique. It was more like a, a big circle instead of a lollipop. Um, but that's the only thing I see looking and imagining myself racing is like, you know, it's really annoying to bike in one way and then run five miles of what you just bike to get to a track. So, but that, that's also just logistically sometimes hard. I do think they have, the race organizers have such great uh natural resources to work with like obviously the ozark natural forest um pretty um great terrain i'm very jealous of all of the paddling on the buffalo river um you know the first national scenic river 
it is just beautiful. The water is so such a nice color this time of year. Sounds like the rapids have been interesting and, um, you know, mm-hmm. a way to keep awake a little bit. Um, and maybe not as challenging as uh, Oregon, but definitely maybe in the fun zone. Um, and I think there's, I mean, I'm just kind of zooming out on the tracking map and just looking at what else there is. And, you know, the Buffalo river goes on for ages. There's, we've only touched maybe a third of the Ozark national forest land area. Um, obviously there's all the single track that the racers will experience as they finish in Bentonville. Um, that's, you know, they're only on a small portion of that. So I feel like there's a lot of, um, additional playground to explore. They also have, they have, a, they have a, a repelling section and a caving section ahead of them too. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, and those are, and the way that they have, that's designed is that there's a mandatory point, not far from the rappel in the cave. So teams, so they're making teams at least get to that section to make the decision to go in and do those or not. So right. it's, that's a very obvious thing you're seeing now as, as the race continues. Um, we are not in the, in the business of guessing who does what and how well it works out. But what has experience shown us about what will the what will the factors be that we're going to see? What are the what are the uh, the equation to the end of the race? What's going to what's going to make or break the rest of the race for the for the teams at the front? Can oh go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. You can go. I, well, I I think that the interesting dynamic to me is Estonia. In you know we kind of all watched Estonia lead at the World Championships and then falter unfortunately at the very end. I feel like now the tables are a little bit turned, right? They're watching Ben make all the right moves. And maybe that's in their minds of, you know, gosh, maybe there's an opportunity for us at the very the very end of the course to sneak through if there's a mistake. Um, so I think that dynamic is really interesting at the front is, you know, who's who can be comfortable racing with a lead, which is a very stressful place to be. And... And, you know, Ben and Estonia have been there for a long time. Um, and, you know, I think it's going to be really fun. Vita Raid is known for not sleeping. I mean, for God's sake, they did Expedition Oregon and somehow managed to finish it on like half the sleep of the second place team that finished 20 minutes behind them. It was just insane to watch them walking around. And so they have the capability to somehow, it's their superhuman strength. Um, so I'm, I'm really expecting them to make a crazy surge and start to take all sorts of chances, um, to catch up with, uh, the top two. Yeah. Brett, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I, you know, Jason kind of alluded to this and I, I, I'm both super excited for Bend, uh, as an American, right. And as, uh, you know, somebody that's friendly and, and friends with everyone on that team, mm-hmm. um, and it feels like they've run a perfect race. I'm sure they haven't. Like, it's very hard to do that. But it, it, from the outside, it kind of looks like they're doing it. And you just got to hope that they hold on, you know, to your question of what's going to factor in. They have roughly a day of racing left, give or take, depending on how things shake out. Um, they're obviously tired. I think a lot of it's going to come down to race management, right? And can Ben keep managing their team and all those other factors, sleep and nutrition. And, you know, I don't know what the temperatures are going to look like tomorrow, but I know there's been some pretty brutal heat early on in this race. That's affected a lot of top teams, um, you know, and, uh, can they kind of keep running that race or does Estonia get a chance to take advantage of a mistake? 
Um, Vita Raid's kind of, you know, you'd like to think they've made their mistakes. They've made some pretty tough ones so far that kind of felt like unforced errors. Um, and they worked really hard, I think, to recover from those. And it, it feels like they've either, it's hard to tell if they kind of burned a little bit too much catching back up to the front or they're just kind of going steady right now and maybe setting themselves up for like a strong last 24 hours. I don't, I mean, I think the race in general, back to the earlier kind of conversation, it's a relatively straightforward race. And obviously it's been a little more tricky than it looks, especially the big trek. But overall, it, it, it it's not a race um, that has a ton of like really technical navigation. Um, you know, so the gap is big enough now between Vita Raid and the other elite teams that it's hard to imagine them getting back in. But 24 hours, you know, stranger things have happened. Um, so, yeah. A lot of TAs left, too. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. A, lot, a, a lot of a lot of road left. You know, as I just checked the tracker right now, Ben Racing is out of transition. They're on the bike. And Estonia is still in transition, if I'm reading the tracker here correctly. Um, yep. And so clearly, and then Viterate is right behind them. So you could see a bit of a change in that in that 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 two three spot. You could see a change, and the Magic is going to see if Ben Racing holds on for the rest of it. Um, and on top of that, too, I'm curious to see how we do with our our mid pack and our back of the pack teams. I have yeah. I have a mid my other mid pack shout out. Okay, let it loose. Uh, is I want to do a shout out to Team Natural State. Mm, yeah, uh, they had story. a really funny video of of eating a hot meal in like a store. I don't know what kind of store they were at. Maybe like a general store at a campground or something. Um, this is from the Expedition Ozark uh, media crew. Mm -hmm. And so they were at this cute little table eating, you know, a nice meal in the media is asking them, you know, how's it going? Have you interacted with the locals? And maybe, you know, but <laughs> Team Natural State is Arkansas. Right. So they are the locals. And they said that back, like, well, we are the we are the locals. Right. And they're, and, they're, and the and the person with the camera was kind of like, well, you're not live here. And they were like, okay, buddy, whatever. Right. Yeah. Right. Nice try. Yeah. But then they also had a very professional move of they were eating a hot meal and then they were ordering a second meal of chicken tenders to bring with them for later in the race. So very professional uh, kudos. Those chicken tenders will last like two to three days probably. So order up. And that's that's a great, and I appreciate Emily bringing that up. Everyone who's listening to this podcast, you're 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 missing out if you don't go over to the Expedition to Ozark page. Um, all the media is sitting there. There's a video of of Team Pentacon, BC Wild, Natalie Long's team taking refuge in a church overnight during the storm. There's um there's a a video of a gentleman and I, I'm going to say like fast food for freight. It's not the right word. Uh, it's with foods in the name of the and he's having that moment in the TA where he's having a bit of an emotional moment. And he's a little teary in front of the camera. The videos are great. Uh, Jeff O'Connor is doing a fantastic job. Heidi Muller and her team at ARWS has put together a great sense of media, almost too much media. Like we're adding ourselves to the fire hose that is coming across here. And I know that Jason's yeah, still talking about it and there's more live streams coming the next few nights. Yeah, Jason, you're gonna say something. Yeah, well, I have a question because I don't want to do, for personal reasons, I don't really want to do predictions at the top, right? But I'm also, um super fascinated with the you know th there's a little bit of national pride within racing right and there's two canadian teams that are racing pretty much neck and neck or, or they're both very very skilled so what do you guys think which canadian team is going to take it and who's going to be basically the second place u.s team i mean is it going to be warrior is tower going to make a push like what do you guys think 
for that that kind of Canadian top spot and and U.S. second spot. You also really, I think I think you also really want to know if we think Ben's going to hold on. No, no, I really don't. <laughs> I, don't my ears. I don't. I have, you know, I like when I get off this, I'm going to go get on the treadmill with my kidney stone because we're, I'm making the whole team that's not racing. They're coming over to the pain cave. They're doing extra work. We're sending them out there. Uh-huh. I don't want to talk. Right. But just what do you guys think about Tower and Warrior? I've been watching that really closely um, and, and the Canadians. I'm taking another quick peek right now. So, you know, Warrior had a, a decent little gap. Well, I can tell you what happened. So this is cool. So Warrior <laughs> was able to get on the water. So they, they, they on the the longer river, they basically said you got to get on by eight. Maybe they did for all the rivers. So even though the the cutoff for the weather was eleven, if you were going to get on a paddle stage, you had to get on by eight. Warrior rolled into TA at seven thirty. There's a video of them doing a super fast TA and carrying uninflated or, or semi-inflated pack rafts into the river and sitting in them because it counted to be on the river. And then they probably stopped right down and blew them up and finished the paddle in darkness before 11. However, Tower got there 8.06, right? And we're told you cannot go. And so what they did to make it fair is they then held um, Warrior because they basically you know, forced Tower to have an extra, whatever, two hours and 54 minutes of rest and so they forced Warrior to have an extra two hours and 54 minutes of rest, right? right? So they just had the rest of different places, but it equalized, neutralized that time. And so now they're much closer. Well, they're literally they're, they're no like on the river right now. Yeah. So it looks to me like Warrior is sleeping. Um, if you look at their dots, uh, they have a dot tracking um, just upriver from where they currently are, are plotted about an hour ago. Yep. And they've been doing something there at the boat drop since, unless they're not pinging, but it looks like they are. There's several dots, more or less, where they are currently parked. And Tower is now within a half a kilometer, probably, of getting there. Um, so I think that's interesting. You know, like we're essentially, unless there's some time credits or things like that, they're they're virtually tied. Um, so I don't know that you know the Tower guys well. Um, you know, they look super fresh. Jameson looked super fresh before when he was in one of the TAs. When yeah. he was talking, he's he I really, I mean, same with Mark too. Mark, Mark sounded the same way, but definitely the attitude perspective feels strong on both teams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesse Spangler is an incredible athlete, yeah. and um, you know, James Gallopo also is a, I mean, he's a super strong racer. Um, I mean, they are one of the most experienced teams at the race, so it's hard to bet against that. Um, it also seems like tower might've got like a, a better night's sleep overall last night is my guess. Uh, I'm not looking too closely, but because they got held at eight Oh six, instead of racing till 11, I'm assuming they slept for six, seven hours, maybe even more. Um, so it, that's tough. Um, I mean, what's your prediction? I, we just, you know, I just want to be able to say, you know, I mean, I'll go with warrior. I think I'll I think I'll err toward Warrior based off of experience and savviness. Go okay. with them. Yeah, I think I think because I know Warrior better, I have to go with them. I don't know Tower Racing that well, but definitely I know I know two of the races on Warrior very, very well. So I think I think I think the second place American team is going to be Warrior and third place is going to be Tower Racing. 
Great. But okay. I, I, I would like to also qualify it publicly so Tower doesn't absolutely hate me, though everything I've seen is they're the nicest people in the world. I can't imagine they would ever do that. Um, they're a super impressive team. They're, you know, yes, they're less experienced, but, um, you know, I think they've made a huge splash on the West Coast and, you know, are really getting their feet wet in bigger races, mostly still out West Coast, if not entirely until this one. Um, they were super impressive at nationals, had a really great performance at nationals. Um, and wouldn't surprise me at all if, if they, if they took that challenge and even made up some more spots, honestly. I I will, I will, I will mirror what Brent is saying right there. Now about our friends to the North, what's the pick on the, uh, as you were saying before, Jason, what's our, what's our friends on our Canadian racers? How's that going to work out? What do you think, Emily? Well here, yeah. So basically I'm just a couple hours drive from Canada. Uh, we still have about a meter of snow on the ground if we're, you know, using metric. Um, so right now, the two Canadian teams, we've got team number five, the Visit Pentacon BC Wild. Mm-hmm. That's Natalie that Long's team, mm-hmm. right? And then they're on the lead, uh, paddling towards the, uh, I don't know, me- the medium trek, um, the wilderness area trek. And then attack from above is behind them on the river a ways, a couple hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I do really admire Natalie Long and her just whole vibe of, um, you know, she trains multi-sport year round. She's a race director. She really just lives and breathes adventure and then throws down when it's an adventure race. Um so I just have a lot of confidence her in her, and I think she's a good team leader. Um, so maybe it's a rooting for that for the visit Pentacon, but definitely I'll I'll go ahead and predict that they they stay in the lead. I also don't want any Canadians to ever lose in anything ever because they're the nicest people in the world. I want all the Canadians to win. I want yeah. to be a tie. Yeah. 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 Uh, what do you think, Brent? I, I'm going to go with the same with Pentacon. Um, you know, it seemed to me like they kind of had a slow start to this race. I mean, they're, they're a team that is capable of racing up in that top five, mm-hmm. um, attack from the, from above is a really good team. Uh, I, I don't know that they would mix it up with those elite world teams, but I think Pentacon's got the the ability to do that. I mean, yeah, Natalie, you spoke to Natalie. Um, Chad Spence has been on ARWS winning teams before. I mean, he's he's won at least one or two ARWS events. And um, yeah, I got to think they're going to hold that. Um, I'm also, I mean, it's not the Canadian team, but I did just notice they're, I think they're side by side with Racing Denmark. Uh, yeah. I'm still watching Racing Denmark to see if maybe like in their Nordic team, maybe the heat has really been tough on them. And, uh, you know, maybe things are cooling off. I wonder if there's any chance we see them take a shot at at, at catching up to the next group of, of teams. I had Racing Denmark yeah. in my top five before the race started. After seeing them last year at Iterra, I thought for certain they'd be out there. I think they're having a, I think they're, they're having a tough, tough race. Something's going on there with them. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I have to uh, uh, fix one thing because you guys are all obviously East Coasters. So, and I, I have heard this over and over again, just... There's a city in America that everybody loves. It's called Bend. We have amazing mountain biking and awesome adventure racing. There's a city in Canada called Penticton, right. which everybody loves. The Iron Man. So I just want everybody talking about visit Penticton and also the city that's supporting Natalie. Like Penticton is the place you want to go in Canada. Um, so for all you East Coasters, if you hear this, they're talking about the town of Penticton. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah. But, you know, more just like if somebody was saying Bend is banned, I'd be like, dude, they're never going to come visit here. Um, so go to Penticton and and you can race there for Expedition Canada because that's where that's going to be. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. Chad Spence is hard to bet it, bet against. He's uh, He won Expedition Oregon, actually, in the second year um, with some of the Quest racers. He's a fantastic navigator. And I know Natalie and I know how competitive she is. Um, so, so she was at Expedition Oregon last year. I think they ended up in fourth. They got beat by another Canadian team, uh, just out of third. And yeah, she likes to, uh, push it. So I'm sure she is trying to whip the rest of her team into beating the other Canadians. Uh, if anything, just for that, that little bit of national pride, which is really, really fun to race for. Emily, closing thought. It was your first dark zone. Leave us with something. Gosh, I have enjoyed my time. Love talking into the details and breadcrumbs of adventure racing dot watching um, with people who enjoy it just as much as I do. Um, I'm excited to see the finish of this race. I think that the, um, you know, kind of what I opened with, I think the race directors, even though it's their rookie year, they're doing a great job. Um, I love seeing all the different little stories of all the teams we're not just focused on um you know the front of the pack with the media they're really catching everybody um i think the teams are really i've i've ridden some of those back 40 in bentonville slaughter pen trails like they're fun um especially slaughter pen has like a dedicated downhill flow course that um if you get to ride it obviously going downhill it's a lot of like hoot and holler time so so close to the finish line it'll be really enjoyable. Um, and I hope that teams keep looking forward to, um, you know, crossing that team, crossing that finish line as a team and safely and, um, sharing your stories. Yeah. Jason, what do you think? Uh, I just am, am, you know, I just want to say a huge shout out to USARA and to ARWS, um, and just adventure racing in general for, for growing smartly the last couple of years as a two decades of adventure racing in my old bones. It's pretty amazing to feel the growth and feel the, the response to the people that are leading this, um, and the race directors. So that's just really, really exciting. And, and I've been to the Ozarks, I used to climb there and it is stunning and I'm, I'm very jealous that I'm sitting at home. Um, I mean, there's a piece of me that's very excited now because I know how hard um, those racers are working right now, but it's just, it's a stunning place to have a race. It's a welcome addition to the calendar and, you know, all the media, you guys included, just the this this sort of analysis, this sort of energy in the sport is, is a really beautiful thing. And so, you know, kudos to all the racers for being out there and giving us all something to sit here and talk about and watch and be fascinated by and hopefully, everybody listening to this will keep racing and and start wherever they are and and know that there's a world of awesome adventure possibilities to this sport i want to thank you for that jason i want to close out by giving a, a compliment to, to heidi muller and her team at arws for working with so many racers and racers around the world around the country you know there's a, a whole swath of racing coming up i know that exhibition oregon's taking a year off can't wait to get that back endless mountains is right around the corner uh, shout out to Bentonville, Arkansas. It must be nice to work with a town that actually returns your phone calls because they oh. are a um, clearly they've rolled out the red carpet for for the racers and that they've they've shown very, very well. And and to, to Danny and Jason's credit, you know, putting an event race on uh, is difficult for anybody and to put a five day race on as your first race is a, is, a, is, a, is a jump into the deep end of the pool. So thanks to them. Thanks to our crack panel, Emily, Jason and Brent for being here. 
Those of you who are still listening, please head over to your streaming platform of choice and like and subscribe and click and spread the word. The Dark Zone will continue to be free at all times for all listeners. You keep racing and we'll keep talking. Be safe, everybody.